But I want you to listen to the opening words from the Bible. And that's found in Genesis 1, uh, 1 through 3. Should be kicking on. So in that passage, it, it states, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And so the, the, the first action in creation is a word spoken by God. He speaks, and there is light. And one of the first things that we learn in Scripture is that God's word is powerful. And this is stated over and over again. In fact, move on to the New Testament. In Hebrews 11.3, we're told by faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so the universe, everything that, that, that we can see and everything that we can touch was created by God speaking. And when God speaks, things happen. We also learn that God's word is something that we can trust. And so he never gives us empty words. They're always true. They are always pregnant with meaning and power. In Isaiah 55 and 11, God says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And, you know, we can say much more about the word of God, but, but you understand that when God speaks, it is something special. Lives are changed. The world is not the same as it once was. God's word goes forth. And we need to be reminded of all these things before reading 2 Samuel 23. Because in, in this passage, we find the last words of King David. And he says here, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and secure, for he will not cause to prosper all my help and my desire. And so David was this monumental figure in Israel. There, there was never another king like David. And this is for several reasons. The, the main one was that gave, David was a man after God's own heart. And at the end of his life, he doesn't talk about his own accomplishments. Instead, he talks about God. And he has some very interesting things to say here. He begins by telling everyone what God has done through him. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. 
David has spoken God's word. That powerful word that, that, that made creation possible is now spoken using the tongues of men and women. God has chosen to speak through human beings. The word prophet in Hebrew literally means a, a mouthpiece. It is someone who speaks for God. And what we have in the Bible is God's word. This is the, the same word that brought worlds into being. It is the same word that gave the stars and the moon their beginning. It is the word that brought life to plants and animals. God used human beings to speak his word. And we now have it recorded for us in written form. And so the Bible is more than simply historical accounts or the religious thoughts of human beings. The, the Bible is the word of God. And he speaks to us today through this word. And this word is just as powerful now as it was when the heavens and the earth were created. David tells us that God speaks through him. So what does he say? Well, as David prepares to breathe his last breath, this is what he says. For he, for God, has made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and secure. And so things were never the same after David His son Solomon made some poor decisions that ultimately led to the kingdom being divided, being torn apart. And many kings followed, but there were more bad kings than there were good ones. And eventually the northern and the southern kingdoms fell. The, the northern kingdom was the first to go. It was captured by the Assyrians. Later the Babylonians took the southern kingdom and Israel was left without a king. But what they did have was the word of God. And the word of God said a descendant of David would sit on the throne forever. An everlasting covenant. And years and years went by. And Israel would eventually have some puppet kings, kings like Herod, but they were not real kings. They could not rule as they wished because they were under the control of another empire. And they were also not descendants of David. And the people of Israel who remembered the word of God, they continued to long for another king, one like David, one whom they called Messiah. Now, it's intriguing to me that we as a culture are still obsessed with kings. You know, we live in a republic where we elect our officials democratically. We fought a war so we wouldn't have to be ruled by a king. We do not live in a monarchy, and yet we are still very much intrigued by kings. You know, just yesterday, my four-year-old son 
He took this plastic zip tie that was in the shape of a circle and he placed it on his head. He said, look, daddy, I'm a king. He never says, look, dad, I'm a president. Um, He wants to be a king. And, And he wants to hear stories about kings. And most of us are the same way. Stories about kings are just as popular among adults as they are children. One of the main themes of Scripture is that we are subjects in a kingdom. And Jesus is our king. And every time that you see the word Lord in the Bible, you could replace it with the word king. And the kingdom of God is not a democracy. We don't get a a vote in what goes on. It is a monarchy. We are ruled by a king. But now we need to understand that that, that we're not forced to join this kingdom. We must choose to do so willingly. Submitting ourselves to the king and and pledging our allegiance to him. We also need to understand that, that Jesus is a good king. He is a king who has our best interest at heart. He wants the best for us and he will lead us in the way that we need to go. In the Gospel of John, we find this account, John 18, 33 through 38. It's a discussion between Jesus and Pilate right before the crucifixion of Jesus. And it states, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Now, Pilate was a a Roman governor. This means he he wasn't interested in spiritual matters. It it wouldn't do any good for the religious leaders to tell Pilate that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy. He, He wouldn't care. However, if Jesus was claiming to be king, now that would be different. Because anyone who claimed to be king would be guilty of treason, a crime punishable by death. And this is why Pilate asked whether or not Jesus is king. And Jesus does not directly say whether he is king or not. He says to Pilate, you say that I'm a king. Jesus understands the implications, but he he goes on to talk about his kingdom. And he says that that my kingdom is not of this world. And and this is a statement that is often misunderstood. 
It's sometimes interpreted as if Jesus is only interested in heaven. And that's not the case at all. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught his followers to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the kingdom of God is vast. It includes the church, and the church is on earth. And Jesus is very much interested in what happens on on earth. He he came to earth. He he ministered on earth. And he left his disciples and the Holy Spirit to finish his work on earth. And so when Jesus says, "My, my kingdom is not of this world, what he means is that his kingdom is not like other earthly kingdoms. It's not like Rome. It's not like Egypt. It's not like the United States of America. The kingdom of God exists on earth, but it's not like these other governments. It's not earthly, it's heavenly. It's not fleshly, it's spiritual. It has a different ethic, it has a different mission. It is concerned with the things of God, not the desires of men. And perhaps the biggest difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of men is the king himself. Jesus is unlike any other leader. You know, human leaders tend to let us down. They never quite live up to our expectations. They don't always keep their promises. But, but Jesus always keeps his word. And he never lets us down. And he is someone that we can give ourselves to completely. He is the only king who is truly good in everything that he says and everything that he does. Not only that, he is honorable, he is truthful, he is just, he is merciful, he is the perfect king. And all of this talk of of kings and kingdoms are, are not just to get Jesus arrested. This language existed long before Pilate. It existed long before the Roman Empire. Israel was looking for a king before Rome ever took charge. The truth is, the moment that we are baptized, we become subjects in the kingdom of God. And what we confess before we are baptized is this, that Jesus is Lord. That's our confession. Jesus is Lord. And what we are confessing there is that Jesus is king. And this means he rules our lives. And this isn't just lip service. The language of kingship has important theological significance. And so when Jesus comes back, when he returns, every knee will bow And every tongue will confess, as we're told in Philippians chapter 2. And so we either bend the knee now and willingly side with the king, or we'll be forced to do so in the future. And those who do so willingly will be rewarded. Those who do not will be punished. And Jesus being king is good news. Because when we side with him, it has important implications. Because Jesus is king over many things. Jesus is king over death. 
And he claimed victory over death when he was raised from the grave. He has also claimed victories over sin and evil. And so we know that they will not win. Jesus will have the final word. Cancer will not win. Poverty will not win. War will not win. Hatred will not win. Jesus is a king who is going to right all wrongs. And when we give our full allegiance to him, what we're doing is we are choosing a side. And we are aligning ourselves with all that is good and all that is right in this universe. And we are choosing a king that has overcome the darkness and will continue to do so until it is no more. And so praise the Lord of Lords and King of Kings for he has done what no other could do. May we honor and serve him for as long as we shall live. Let's pray. Father, we've come before you at this moment and we praise Jesus our King. And we're thankful for all that he's done for us. We're thankful that he came to this earth and he lived the life that he did and that he conquered death and conquered evil and conquered sin. And we pray that we will faithfully serve him all of our days and that we will fight on his side. And that we will war against all the things that he is against, all the evil in this world. And that we'll be a light, an example of goodness to others. We're so thankful for his sacrifice, which makes all this possible. I pray this in his name. Amen.